Welcome to the Brand Groupies podcast. I'm Carrie Bellog, your host and founder of Brand Groupies. We're a social media, public relations, and personal branding agency working with companies in architecture, engineering, construction, and design. For our AEC Buzzmakers series, we invite inspiring guests who have spent their careers working within the AEC industry to create buzz and fuel business growth. Our mission is to continue to amplify the brand groupies behind the AEC industry brands who are leading the way into the future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Groupies podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Bellog. For our AEC Buzzmaker series, we invite inspiring guests who have spent their careers working within the design and AEC industry to create buzz and fuel business growth. Our mission is to continue to amplify the brand groupies behind the AEC industry brands who are leading the way into the future of this ever-evolving industry. And uh, today, I could not be more excited to welcome Eva Hagberg. Thank you for be, uh, being here as a guest, Eva. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to share your story. Um, Eva is an author, historian, and educator. She is the author of When Arrow Met His Match, Aline Lukheim, Saarinen, and the Making of an Architect and the critically acclaimed memoir, How to Be Loved. She has published widely on design and architecture in publications like The New York Times, Metropolis, The Architect's Newspaper, and more. She has degrees in architecture from Princeton University and UC Berkeley and a PhD in physical and narrative culture from UC Berkeley. So um, so welcome to the podcast, Eva. And I can't wait to hear your, your um, you know, insight on some of the topics we'll be talking about today. So I hope, um, I hope I have some. <laughs> first off, you know, as the, um, you know, AEC industry is constantly evolving, um, what are you seeing as some of the trends in, in this industry? So my, I should say my focus is on the media, right? So my degree um, is in visual and narrative culture. And I looked at the architecture and design press as sort of a the the lens through which I look at the AAC industry, right? So um, anything that I think of as trends are going to come through the media. And I will say that I think there is a massive explosion of media, which is interestingly coinciding with a moment of great difficulty for kind of, the, I don't want to say the legacy brands, but like the tech legacy brands. I mean, Vice just filed I read um, that for bankruptcy. BuzzFeed News just laid off their whole team. Vox is going through some issues. You know, Vox is home to curb. But I, I do think that sort of even against that backdrop, there is this incredible surge of interest in architectural publication, architectural discourse, um, writers who used to be maybe much more siloed in the world of architecture and design are kind of finding themselves on the pages of magazines like The Nation or The Baffler or Jacobean. Um, there's much more interest, I think, now in kind of the political and social and economic ramifications of the construction and design industry. I know that when I first started 20 years ago, um, I don't recall there being as much interest in or editorial space for 
the kinds of stories that are being published now, which are looking at, you know, how did Hudson Yards get funded? Um, why is it so great that the staff of Bernheimer Architecture unionized, you know, mm. know how to are just trying to unionize? So I think that the I mean, the trends that I'm seeing are really towards greater kind of labor transparency, pay transparency. Um, we're shifting away from, you know, the great man architect. I mean, my, my book was really sort of a contributor to that discourse where I point out that Eero Saarinen became famous because of the, the efforts of his publicist mm-hmm. slash his wife, uh, Aline Lupin Saarinen. Um, and I'm seeing much more kind of appetite for these kind of crossover, um, you know, every, everybody is a, a brand strategist on the side now, mm-hmm. I think, which is, which is different. Totally. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing. That's great. I mean, that's exciting for the industry um, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, the me- the media goes. And um, I would love to, to hear more about your book, um, When Arrow Met His Match, and mm-hmm. also um, Aline's role in propelling him to starkest tech status through PR. If you could yeah. just give us a little, you know, briefing about uh, yeah. the awesome book. So, <laughs> so the book has been called um, An Academic Beach Read, mm. uh, which I love. love it. um, it's it's a love story. I mean, it's about this this architect and this writer. Um, and they met in 1953 when she wrote about him for The New York Times. And they fell in love pretty instantly. Um, and my first couple of chapters really show the development of their love affair, their relationship, which happened when she was in New York and he was in Michigan. So they wrote each other these letters, which, which are amazing and which I analyze in, in great detail. Um, and she really wanted to, to live with him. And so she sort of invented this position for herself. And she said, you know, if I were to be your wife, um, cause he had, he had a wife and she was trying to become a second wife. She's like, well, if I were to be your second wife, then I could really help you with all my connections and my insights. And I think I could really kind of help put you on more of a global stage than you're on. I could really help you think through your ideas. Um, and she, she even explicitly said, you know, I'm the right candidate for this job. And so the book traces their early courtship, which was both personal and professional. And then it traces their collaboration um, and I, I analyze a couple of buildings and the reception in the media as a way of showing her influence, the way that she encouraged him to talk about them. Um, I know that we both talk to a lot of architects all day, every day. And one of the things I've discovered is that what, what an architect thinks is the most interesting thing about a building is almost never what a consumer, a reader, a client is going to think is the most interesting thing. A friend of mine said recently that architects are focused on the moment that was the most painful. Mm. And so they'll always say like the thing that they really struggled with and then got, that's the most important thing. But what Aline did is she, she gave him sort of very easy analogies and she gave him sort of metaphors. Um, I have a chapter about the TWA terminal, which was described as a soaring bird. Um, and I trace kind of the development of that idea and how it got replicated and how that was a really sort of easy way for people who didn't know what they were seeing to start describing what they were seeing. Got it. Um, and yeah, so the book is about her and that's also about my life as a secret publicist for, for high-end architects. Um, 
and some of the sort of the lessons that I learned doing it uh, Aline's way and not Aline's way. I never married any of my clients, just to be clear, but (laughs) I got I got a little too close to some of them, which I which I do write about. I love it, which is a yeah hazard of the job. Sure. Um, no, it sounds, uh, that sounds awesome. And I love, um, how you uncovered that, especially her messaging. When you think about it, you know, like she crafted all of those terms and right fed them to him. So he could then express, mm-hmm. uh, himself yeah. to the press, which is, is yeah. Cause cool. he was really interested in, in these sort of like lofty ideals of humanism. And, and when he described TWA, he's like, Oh, I, I simply wish to capture like the greatness of humanity and and she sort of rightly was like i don't think the press is going to go for that Mm. you know but if you say it's like a raptor it's a bird it's it's crouching it's a grapefruit you know totally people can kind of understand that yeah that makes makes a lot of sense so you were an undercover publicist for architects Mm -hmm. for years um i love that that's so cool how important is the role of pr and shaping in architecture firms public narrative necessary. I mean, I think that any architect who has a public presence has a publicist. And this is something that historians don't typically know. And part of why I wrote my book was that I was realizing that architectural historians would see an architect published and they would say, oh, well, that person just, you know, deserved to be published. And they were just discovered, you know, toiling away in a studio. And my point was like, you know, post 1960, they probably had a press agent. Um, yep. I think that public publicists are often sort of, I don't know, decried in some way as, as people who are simply kind of sending out a press release that the architect writes, or, or they're just there to send emails. And I think actually what publicists do is, is really, really essential to the architectural ecosystem and to the way in which architecture is produced, because they understand what's going on with the media. They understand like you said, they understand mm-hmm. trends. They know the kinds of stories that that people are looking for. They know the writers. They know who's in a bad mood, who's in a good mood. Like all these things are really important. And they'll sort yeah. of find a moment and pitch a story to give it kind of the maximum success. And then usually the publicists that I know, they work with their clients for decades, right? Yeah. So they're really there to kind of guide the architect through their career. I think architects are really good at architecture. Um, and some of them are okay at business. <laughs> But most of them invariably are horrible publicists, I've discovered. Um, And I don't think that's their fault. I think it's the way in which they're educated. I think that the architectural education system sort of tells them that they can do anything. And I'm like, no, you can't actually do this. PR is like a very different, very specific thing. Totally. Um, Totally. And you can tell when a firm gets a new publicist because they suddenly start making a lot more Mm. sense. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, our backgrounds are fashion. I talk about myself mm-hmm. and Lauren Janest and, you know, we are applying that to the AEC industry and we've seen, you know, um, almost a, a lack of, I guess, I don't know, um, the, uh, the PR, um, you know, emphasis mm-hmm. on PR and social media and really, you know, valuing that and taking it um, seriously, you know, uh, or just having someone in accounting, you know, handle the, the social media. What do you see, you know, what is lacking in, you know, in the areas of social media and PR in the AEC industries that you, you know, you might see? Yeah. Um, I mean, usually when clients find me, they have, a project and they think it should be on the cover of architectural digest and they just want to get it there. Mm -hmm. 
that's kind of their understanding of the media landscape. Yep, you nailed it. Um, and they don't really like social media, but they'll post every so often because they know they have to, right? So I usually, you know, my job is to kind of be a bummer and say, well, it's pretty hard to get into digest and no human can get you on the cover besides Amy Astley, the editor-in-chief mm-hmm. of Digest, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, but I think that they... You know, I, I I think one of one of the things that they need is to understand that PR is a very, very long game. So I've started saying this, right? Where I say like one piece is not gonna turn into a client calling you the next day, right? Even if you're on the cover of Digest, even if you're on the cover of Dwell, but in four or five years, you have four or five pub, you know, published projects. Um and each of them will be published in a magazine that is good by a writer that is good. I think architects don't generally, it's funny because most of my clients will sort of proudly tell me that they don't read any of the publications that they mm-hmm. want to be in. This is actually not clients that I work with. This oh, is like yes. potential clients, but they have their list of, of five favorites despite not having read them. Sure. Um, and so I think part of what they need is a little bit of a crash course in, in media literacy. Mm-hmm. Um and just kind of a willingness to understand that like there are very specific rules and these rules cannot be broken. Mm-hmm. So I've had a couple of clients who are like, why can't we pitch this project to two magazines at the same time and give it more chance of success? And I'm like, because that is the, you, you will be blacklisted mm-hmm. forever. You cannot do that. Yeah. Um, for social media, I think people should just hire a person who's really good at social media. I know so many firms who try to do it themselves, Mm -hmm. but they're not really that good, but they think like something is better than nothing. Yes. And with social media, I do not think something is better than nothing. I think nothing is better than something bad. I think having an Instagram account that has one photo on it that just has, you know, a link to a website is much better than kind of a random feed that has like, a random photo of, of a associate and then a photo of a construction site and then, a, and then a rendering of a finished building with captions that like, don't make any sense. So I always say like, you either have to do it a hundred percent and either have somebody in the office whose job that is, mm-hmm. it's not like Pam and accounting's part-time yeah. thing. We it's call like, her Sally in accounting. <laughs> yeah. It's always Sally in accounting Sally. who's doing it. Right. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So those are kind of the two the two things is like take both of them really seriously yes. I think is is my summary thank you no like that's great really feedback serious. I know I know yeah. and it's yeah. so time consuming it is a full-time job and the social listening is so important so I think there is that education factor too if they don't get it mm-hmm. off the bat to really um, help educate them and you know as publicists uh, we're so used to being behind the scenes you know brand groupies mm-hmm. we're the groupies we're behind the scenes we don't want to be in the, mm-hmm. the, the spotlight and I think uh, we always go back. I personally go back and forth because, you know, now personal branding is something that, you know, we do for our clients. And the more you're known, the more people think about you for business. How important do you think personal branding is for publicists now and looking mm. into the future? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, and I think there are kind of two models of publicist, right? And one is the publicist who also is their own publicist. Mm-hmm. And then one is the publicist who pretty much no one knows what they do or who their clients are. And I am the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, now I wrote a book about how I'm a publicist. So now the secret is out. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately. Um, but like nobody knows who my clients are. Um, I don't post about them on social. I mean, I, I my website is just like blank product. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There's nothing else. Um, 
And then I think there are, and, and I think, and that's sort of the tradition of publicists that I encountered when I was a writer. Mm. Um, and so I always thought that that approach was really cool. I also think that there's tremendous value in being much more open about what you do. I mean, I'm sure that I miss out on business opportunities because literally nobody knows that I do what I do or they don't know how I do it. And they have no idea like who they're going to be doing it with. There is sort of like a level at which there is too much opacity. Um, And then there are firms like this by that or Dada Goldberg who both do amazing work. They Mm -hmm. represent incredible architects Um, and they're very much public and they're out there and they're posting a lot on Instagram about their clients Mm -hmm. work and the founders are like very cool and the founders are being published and well, um, and showing up at amazing parties and, and very much are, are people. And I tell potential clients sometimes I'm like, some people really want to be with a publicist who is famous. Right. And there's absolutely benefit to that because you by association, if, if people know that Donna Goldberg is representing you, they're going to take you seriously. You know, with mm-hmm. me, it's a little bit different. People read my emails when I send them, but I'm not doing the same kind of public mm-hmm. presentation yeah. that a firm like Donna Goldberg is. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's good. Uh, good insight. You know, we're always uh, talking about that and we should post more on LinkedIn and, you know, all of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> good. Stuff. I mean, you seem to have a very strong presence and, and I think do it really well where everybody yes. knows that you work in this space. They know that you're yeah. really successful in this space. We're, so I think you've done a really good job of, of representing yourselves. Oh, for, thank for what you. Worth. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, um, you know, we all also talk about promoting the faces behind the brand and, you know, the C-suite mm-hmm. leaders and, you know, from a PR perspective, you know, uh, in a, uh, apart from promoting projects, how mm-hmm. important is it to identify and promote the faces of the brand for increasing executive visibility and establishing, you know, the CFOs, CEOs as thought leaders mm-hmm. in, in the AEC industry? How important do I think it is? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends on if the person wants to be. I mean, this mm-hmm. is one of the questions that I always ask my clients is yes. like, do you want to be like part of a group or do you want to be kind of out there. Um, and I think people who don't want to be out there should not be out there. And people who want to be out there hundred percent should, you know, I don't know how much of a difference. I mean, I'm so like consumer focused, right? Mm-hmm. So all of my work, I know you do a lot of B2B stuff, which is super important. And also mm-hmm. like a world I don't really know about. I'm always thinking about like the average dwell reader or the average sure. times reader. Yeah. Um, but I think in general, you know, we are in an era of kind of unprecedented personal, personal branding for right to, mm-hmm. to kind of go back to our most recent question. Um, and I think some people like to know, I think people like to know the scale of the firm that they're dealing with. Right. So one of the things that I come across a lot with my clients is they'll some, they'll have a website and there'll be no way of telling if their office has four people or mm-hmm. 35 people or 400. You're so people, right. Yes. Right. And, and I think that like different, types of clients will want, right. A residential client might want a really small firm. Mm. Whereas, you know, when related is looking for an architect, they're going to want a really big firm. Mm -hmm. And so part of what, you know, my clients get to do is kind of find different ways of representing their size, representing, Mm -hmm. you know, their capacity, which is often different from their size. Sure. So I think that like showing leadership can be really important from that perspective. Um, 
I mean, I always want to know everything about everyone. So yeah. I would say like, bring the, bring the CFOs bring out on, and, right? and, you know, see what they're going to say. Okay. That's great. And, um, I always am curious how you stay inspired in the industry. You know, when we first met, I'm like, oh my God, Eva is so cool. So hip. She knows oh, everything. <laughs> and, um, I just love listening to you and just, I don't know, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. Like how do you stay inspired, um, on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I mean, I have pretty frequent, uh, like, I was going to say yeah. frequent nervous breakdowns. Um, <laughs> no. no, I don't have frequent nervous breakdowns. Uh, I mean, I do, I do like get a little burned out every so mm. often, you know? So the way that I kind of keep it fresh is I have like 15 different jobs at okay. the same time. All right? right. So I'm a publicist. That's my day job. Mm -hmm. So I make money. I also write books. Um, mm. I just finished the final edits on my next book. Um, over the weekend, I checked into a hotel. I was away from my mm. daughter for the first time since she was born. Um, oh. And, you know, it's a memoir of my divorce, right? Mm. So it has nothing to do with architecture. It has nothing to do with, like, anything. Like, nobody needs oh. anything from me for this book. It's just, like, my book. Okay. And so that was really, really restorative, even though I worked so hard that by the end of the day, my brain was soup, right? Mm. So I do that. Um, I mentor people. You know, mm. I, have, I have an associate. I have an employee. And I try to, like even when it would be easier for me to be like, just do it like that or like sure. pick that photo. I'm like, well, why did you pick that photo? Like walk me, you know, I try to like sort of educate. I teach, I teach at Columbia. Yes. Um, that kind of keeps things like moving. Sure, you know, I sure. love knowing like what the kids are up to. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, I, I definitely could not have only one job. I've never had mm. a full-time job. Um, I've never really worked for somebody else. And you know, for the first like 15 years of, of my career, my salary reflected mm. not having a job. And it's only recently that I've been able to actually support myself kind of doing this mix oh, of things. But that that's really it. But I don't know. I'm not really like uh, motivation is a is a tricky one for me. I mean, I have to do a lot of complicated like reward and punishment systems mm. for myself where I'm like, OK, if I write this like release, then I can you know, do something else. But yes, I'm not like, I think a lot of architecture people get inspired by looking at design. And I, I've noticed like, if I go on vacation, somebody's like, Oh, let me take you on a tour of the building. And I'm like, I don't want to work. Like if I'm mm. looking at a building, I'll be thinking about it. I'll be like contextualizing it. I'll be historicizing it. So that to me is not yeah. inspiring. Okay. To, to, I just like watch stupid movies and read yeah. like the New Yorker. And then I call it a day. I love it. Oh, well, thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. And um, sure. is there anything else that you would like to add about upcoming initiatives personally or professionally? Any um, new books on the horizon for this year and the future? Um, I don't think I'm going to have a book out this year. Uh, I'm hoping to have a, I'm hoping to have that divorce book out soon though. Um I don't know. No, I don't really have. Sounds. Yeah, nothing we is happening this one. year besides just like my life and my baby and, and more work. Um, which it's, is yeah, that's that's my new initiative is my baby eating food. Oh, she's so um, but my books are out. My books still exist. Yes. So they are. They're kind of new. You yeah, know. you just launched don't right sleep in on the them. Fall. And Princeton that's University Press is the best place, yep. right? To 
to purchase um, your mm-hmm. latest book. So, well, we're so excited to um, share your story. And, you know, thank you for being a guest. How, what what social handers, uh, handles are the best to share? To follow um, you? I'm on Instagram at Eva May Hagberg and I'm on Twitter at Eva Hagberg. Okay. Well, Eva, thank you so much for your time and and sharing your oh, very cool pleasure. story. You're incredible. We always um, oh, talk about how awesome you are in the office. Oh, and so, so nice. it's always a pleasure to, to talk with you. So thank you again. You too. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye. bye.